everybody. Welcome to Midwest Paratalk Radio. I am Greg. That is Deb. And tonight we have Science Bob joining us tonight. And uh, we're going to be talking a bit of uh, UFO, UAPs, a little bit of ghost stuff, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're going to show Deb's finger. <laughs> and make fun of her. <laughs> I got uh, no. Well, Bob, you know, you know how she hurt her finger, right? I don't. I'm, should I should I be worried about hearing the story? But go ahead. Oh, shit. she's trying to scratch <laughs> the bottom of her brain. Oh, got all the way yep. up in there. Oh, snap! <laughs> Couldn't get it out. Snap! I, literally, I shut it in a sliding glass door in the dark because I don't oh, know. My goodness, I couldn't gracious. see it, and I heard it snap. Oh, Lord. not only did I feel it, I heard it, and I'm like, "Well, that just broke." <laughs> Did it, was it a clean break or was it a shatter? It's just a crack. Okay, good. You know, I'm old and my bones are getting light, so it doesn't take yep. that much. Yeah, yeah. Now, just a yeah. splint and some ice and some Tylenol, and it is what. As it long is. as you're not in agony, it'll recover quickly. I'm good. I'm good now. I'm doing good now. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Lala her best. Thank you, Lala. I love her. She's so, I don't know why when I met, I met Bob and Lala in San Francisco. Um, was it, was it last March? Yeah. At UFO Con. Yeah. UFO Con. And I, I don't know that I had a lot of fun talking to Bob. I picked his brain. His is this guy. He's got an impressive resume right here. And he's, he, he gave me a lots of good information and um, I like the way he thinks and Lala, I, I don't know. I just felt uh, some kind of kinship with her, like, almost maternally like i wanted to just automatically be her mom and hug her oh and yeah her. <laughs> if if if, uh, if uh she when she meets experiencers that's kind of how people treat her like self-talk has been like that a bunch of other people it's just people mm -hmm. kind of are drawn to her because uh she she be, has a radiative beacon which kind of draws people and spirits and other things in and uh well, it's she's had a lot to deal with, but she's doing good. That's great. So, Bob, <laughs> we got I got I got a million one questions. Uh, I guess we should start. I guess we should start at the beginning because um, some of our listeners may not be as familiar with you. Although, you know, I I, I don't know if you could just. Give me a little. Uh, sure, I'll give you the. Down. I'll give you the ten cent bio. Okay. And maybe maybe thirty minutes from now, and no, I'm teasing. You take, <laughs> I'm teasing. take okay, all the time. So I, you need. I I grew up and uh, I was born in Lebanon, Tennessee, and and when I was a year old, I moved to Southwest Alabama, where my dad and his parents ran a furniture furniture manufacturing business. It was uh, one of the largest employers in our community. Uh, so but before we left Tennessee and moved to Alabama, I had a cerebral meningitis or I'm sorry, cerebral encephalitis. And so my whole brain was inflamed and the I had very high temperature. And the doctors told my parents that if I made it, I was going to be a vegetable, but they didn't think I was going to make it. And so I got really bad one night. I had three cardiac arrests. So for a one-year-old, I had three NDEs. Wow. Uh, so uh, the doctor says, I'm going to try one thing, and I have no idea if it'll work, but I'm desperate. And he pumped my stomach full of ice water, and my temperature dropped, and I began to recover. And I, he told my parents that I'm probably going to be an imbecile. Uh, they sure they wanted that. And of course they went, yes, but I was not an imbecile. I wound up being, you know, pretty clever. So anyway, uh, if we moved to Alabama, kind of the first major incident that my parents remembered was one morning when I was three years old, I was always into trouble into everything because I was out of curiosity that could not be stopped. Anyway, so one morning I got up, went in where my mother and her friend were uh, drinking coffee, smoking cigarette and gossiping. Uh, and I reached up. On, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I reached <laughs> up. They played bridge together once a week. So you got the idea. Yep. Small town friends. And uh, they were our one of the ones she was talking to was our next door neighbor and her daughter and I 
were the very best of friends, spent all our time together until the wagon tongues in the town we grew up in said a little boy and a little girl, 13 years old, shouldn't spend that much time together. And they pulled us apart. <laughs> OK, so anyway, uh, at the, I was three, walked in, grabbed, started grabbing stuff off the bookshelf and quickly demonstrating that somebody had waved a magic wand and I could read whatever I wanted to read. And there is now no idea where that came from. So my childhood from then on was just odd. I was in a small town of 1,200 people in a very large county framed by the Alabama and Tom Bigby Rivers in Alabama of 29,000 people where the major industry was lumber and furniture. And uh, I started being a scientific whiz. So at 10 years old, I had built a telescope. I was an amateur radio operator. I had memorized Gray's anatomy from cover to cover. I built models of the human body. And you can imagine in Southwest Alabama, religious Alabama in 1964, when I took the, the pregnant invisible woman into school and gave sex education, we had ministers in our home for a week. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, I was right. precocious right. and that continued through high school. So I was, everybody thought because I had memorized Grey's Anatomy, I was going to go be a doctor. And that was my initial plan was to go pre-med and then get become a doctor. So I got to school where I went with my girlfriend from high school at the time, picked her up on a Friday, drove us back home. And we had an hour and a half of missing time. Now, we, we, when we got there, we just said, look, we got lost, but we figured it out, and here we are, and everybody's fine. I don't know whether anybody believed her or me, but it was an hour and a half of missing time. And she remembers it, and I remember it. Okay. So two weeks was all it took for me to not be a medical doctor student anymore, not want to go to that college anymore. I went to a different college, had a, and I got degrees in mathematics, physics, and engineering in five years and got the first applied mathematics degree uh, where you had to concentrate in these applications ever offered by Auburn University. And I just took off from there. I went from doctor, kind of regular guy to whiz and doing whatever I wanted to. I mean, you're, cool. you're a doc, you're a PhD in mathematics. I have right? a PhD in applied math, applied but mathematics. really the right term for me, it sounds fancy, but it just means it just means nobody can tame me and put me in a single box. So I'm a polymath. I, if I want to do something, I learn how to do it and I can do it. And so I've started two companies. One is makes equipment for cellular telephone and wireless companies called Federated Wireless. And the other one builds spacecraft to go into orbit where we operate uh, intelligence gathering missions for the United States government as the first commercial company whose satellites are part of the United States intelligence uh, communities uh, constellation. First one ever. And I could tell you, I was sitting in a meeting at a classified briefing where we were doing some work and I had this inspiration and knew how to do what we did. And that was not part of our mission or our contract. So it was my idea and I got to keep it. Went, found venture capital, started the company, and now that company's worth a billion dollars. I mean, it's just kind of goofy how this stuff happens. And that was a download that I have no idea where it came from. Mm. <laughs> I'm just telling you how it is. Just so weird life, weird stuff. Always seem to be in the middle of something, getting in trouble. But that's all right. I'm having fun. That's and great. Then, uh, so the year though I retired when COVID hit. And I couldn't go to school, shut it down, couldn't deal with students, couldn't have any uh, research employees come in. So I got tired of it after a year and three months, knowing they were not even going to start to come and fall. And I retired, moved to Alabama, where I grew up, not, not where I grew up, but in the state where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And near April of 2022, my mother failed and passed away two years after my father passed away. Uh, but um, so I had met uh, Lala Bright online and she told me that, look, I, it was going to sound weird. And she knew I was a scientist and it'd be OK if I didn't believe her, but that my mother was going to pass. And after it was over, she could give me a reading if she if I wanted it. 
I went, okay, thank you. Uh, that's kind of you for your wishes and so forth and so on. But I never thought about it. But I went over to visit my mother the last two weeks of her life. And she rallied multiple times as she was going downhill. And while she rallied, she was talking to our dead relatives who were in the room. So yeah. that was all it took to pique my curiosity so that after the funeral was over and all the other stuff was done and I went home, I reached out to her and asked her to give me the reading. And she blew me away with telling me stuff that my mother knew and I knew, but nobody else knew. My mother knew. I didn't know. My brothers didn't know. But we knew who to go ask and everything we were told that my mother told me and my brothers that we didn't know, we confirmed with people who knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, also a little old lady who's five foot two and kind of ornery walked up to her. She's from the North. And of course I'm from the South. And she says, I cannot understand a single word this woman's saying. Her the Southern accent is so thick, but she keeps jumping up and down and insisting I tell you a word. And I says, what is that word? She says, it sounds crazy. Do you know what Tweety means? And I went, yes. When I was one and moved to Alabama, she would call me Sweetie. And I couldn't say Sweetie because I'll tell her Tweety. And that became her grandma name for all her grandkids. And so I would blow and it kept, to put the icing on the cake. She says, yeah, she's got a little poodle in her arms. I says, my grandmother was a well-known poodle breather, and she had her favorite poodle, Pierre, in her arms at all times until she passed away, or it passed away first. I can't remember which. So, I mean, I was blown away. So we started doing some exploration of paranormal, aliens, and other things, and I pretty quickly figured out that things she called dreams where there were way too lucid and way too particular and it sounded like an experiencer who did not know what was going on. She had UFOs overhead, alien visitations, being taken away and thought she was, quote, in a barn. But it was full of other women lying on a table and she hid under the table with two strange kids in her arm. You get the picture. And yeah. so I pretty figured out soon that not only did she have amazing paranormal abilities, but that she was an experiencer. And so we've now gotten together, began doing all this exploration. And finally we decided we might as well be together. So we're living together in Maryland. That's, that's an amazing, it's <laughs> an amazing set of circumstances. It was wild. That seems to be the MO for a lot of people that, you know, come together couples. In Especially this. in this paranormal and alien stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And you we have that. regular, on the wall in the house and electronic voice phenomena and, and orbs flying in. And now we occasionally see the orbs without a camera and uh, we see stuff in the backyard and we've had a, a gray looking alien walk up right in front of us. And she took a picture of it with my camera and that's up on our uh, photo album that anybody can go look at. It looks like it's standing in smoke with his face barely peeking out through the smoke. And then the next day it had it and all of its buddies came into her mind and told her what we were supposed to do, which is uh, uh, work on soft disclosure. And so we've just been doing mm -hmm. it ever since doing these interviews and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm a part of that uh, because I'm being an experiencer and all, you know, uh, I'm not a scientist like you. I'm not a professional uh, or I'm not well, even who, really. Who, a is, who is a specialist in this? Especially I mean, yeah. if you haven't been doing your whole life. And I've been doing it for right. three and a half, four years since I met Chris Bledsoe. So most of this is new to me. And Lala had these experiences, but she thought they were dreams outside of her ability to read people and so forth. Well, that's, that's one of the things too, that, you know, everybody, well, I'll not say everybody, but there's a lot of individuals out there that'll claim, well, I'm an expert in the paranormal field. Th that's impossible. Don't ever say that again. Who, who you know could I mean? be an expert in this? You can't. Scientists, scientists don't even believe in it. Right, right. I've been doing it for 20 years and I've learned new things here just with joining the group that I joined here recently. 
So you, you there's that claim of, of being a professional paranormal investigator that that kills me. It always I, has killed me. I would say kind of the thing that I'm able to do that appears to be valuable is I can figure out technical ways to document things that people are experiencing so they can show mm -hmm. proof and people stop thinking they're crazy. Yeah. That's literally. And then what Lala does is she regularly does readings for people. They don't tell her why they're asking and she tells them what they've experienced. And so it validates for them that they're not crazy. Right. So each of us does it a different way. Yeah. So that's kind of our yeah. job. I mean, we think. Right. And you know, if it yields the the same results with either technique of doing it, then I, that's a win win. You know, yep. and yeah, like you know with what? Deb I'm and curious. I. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, you know how? You know, I met Chris. I met Chris Bledsoe years and years ago in Maine at a conference. I think it was mm -hmm. might have been the first. The first one he went to was in, uh, uh, on the beach in a beach town in North Carolina where his son lives, Ryan lives, mm -hmm. and he met Diane Pasolka and other people she introduced him to. And all of the people who are in Diana's book, American Cosmic, that's where Chris Bledsoe met them was at that conference. His second mm -hmm. conference, he was invited by them to come up to Maine on their nickel. And he went mm -hmm. to the one in Maine. And that's where I met him. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him a whole lot, but I did listen to his presentation. I listened to him speak. You know how, you know how we did in, camp, yep. in, in uh, San Francisco, sitting in the lobby of the hotel, a bunch of us at night talking, and yep. I, and and there was an event, there was a, an opportunity like that where I could sit and listen to him talk more. Um, so I'm curious to know how you, being um, you know the science guy, came to become friends with Chris, and you know, familiar. Now we get now we get to the rest of the story. That's so exactly where I'm going. I worked for the United States intelligence community for 28 years. And a year, a year of the time, two years before that, I did work for the Department of Energy at Sandia National Labs, which is the engineering arm national lab for nuclear weapons and other things. So I've been in involved with the government for most of my adult life, one way or another. So uh, at the there something told me it was time for me to leave. Uh, and I had made a very good friend in work we were doing for the intelligence community. And we and I had a, a brought in a graduate student to uh, the place I worked and he took over for me and was a superstar. So I decided it was OK for me to leave. So I went and joined this other person on the faculty at Virginia Tech. And we started what is now the most well-funded research center at Virginia Tech. So I did that for 11 years after I left the government. But while I was involved, we worked, did work, contract work for the government. But most of what we did was teach scientists, engineers and other people how they could prepare themselves to do work for the government or the corporations which served it. And we wound up getting them security clearances and paying them money so they could go to a, a, high, a high cost engineering, math and science school would, and leave there with money in their pocket and not a bank full of debt. Okay, so that turned out to be very popular and we were very popular with intelligence and DOD communities because they got great students from us. We did a good job of preparing them. So well, I that just meant I still had contacts in the inside. So I was on the secure channels where I could talk to people inside and I began hearing about UFOs. So I started doing my own little research because we were about to do some work for the government in space situational awareness, which means we were going to take telescope and other things, put them on the roof and let it look up the sky and tell what was going on up there. Okay. And that was for aircraft, but it also can be applied to other things. So I just got curious and I, but, and, and the person that everybody in the government told me I should read was Richard Dolan's books on the U S national security state and UFOs. He had written two books, 
writing his third one now, and he's done a bunch of other things. But anyway, so I read those two books and I began listening to his weekly show, became a member of his website and then turned in, I became the manager of his forum. Uh, and he interviewed Chris Bledsoe in the most extensive interview Chris Bledsoe had done. It was five hours of interviews and he played those in four episodes. So I meant, oh, I got to go meet this guy. He's two hours from where I live. So mm -hmm. I wrote to him and said, Chris, I saw you on Richard Dolan. I managed the Richard Dolan website and I'm a scientist that worked for the government and I'm over here at Virginia Tech. And I'd like to come visit you to see what I can do to help you document what's going on. And frankly, I want to see it for myself. So it took a couple of weeks and he invited me over. So I went and we had three rainy days where he and I sat in his house and he told me every story he could tell nonstop all day and night. And then the last night I was there, it cleared off. And he looked up a little bit. He says, okay, let's go outside. They're here. So we went outside and we just stood there and looked around. And all of a sudden this big, huge flash happened up in the sky. And it was this monstrous 40, 50 foot diameter orb right over the trees, flew through the trees, flew around, did some zigzags, did some weird stuff and then faded out. And I went, wow. And then we saw these flash bulbs popping off in the trees. And I said inside my head, I wish they would come out of the trees and limbs so I could see them. And whoop, they went right up into the sky, in the clear sky, so I could see them flashing like they had read my mind. I think that's what they wanted was to demonstrate to me that they could read my mind. Mm -hmm. So then I says, man, I hope another one comes back. I especially want Ryan to see. So Ryan walks out of the house just as I'm thinking of this, and then boom, a 50-foot orb appears again. Ryan gets his cell phone up and takes a video of it. And so Ryan and his dad and I sat there and watched this orb for several minutes. And then Ryan was all excited because he hadn't seen one like that in a while. Like this was a monster exhibition. And Chris says, this is for your benefit. So Ryan went back inside to brag to his mom, et cetera. And then uh, I saw what looked like purple glowing smoke right over the trees. And it was like waves of a, a pond on it. And I kept looking up and Chris was not looking up. He was looking up and all of a sudden it disappeared. And before I could say anything, Chris says, ah, they've gone and they're done for the night. We can go inside. <laughs> so I mean, I had demonstration of they could read my mind and that Chris could hear them all in one evening with and I went inside. We had a very good evening, rest of the evening visiting. And I left and went home the next day and the phenomenon followed me home. <laughs> so I've had craft, orbs, knocks, poltergeist, other things happening and everybody who's been in my house at night saw these things outside the windows and then one night we multiple nights in a row in front of my security cameras in the front yard had three orbs that sat there in a triangle formation going up and down until somebody noticed them so i went look just i'm gonna set this to keep recording for several minutes i'm gonna go out through the side door walk around and see if i can see them with my eyes because uh, i'm gonna make sure this is not the security camera illuminated him. I walked around the corner and I could see them glowing with my eyes. So it was not IRLED. I could see them. As soon as they noticed me, boom, they took off straight up, like right to the right to outer space. And so you just saw, and I saw one under a tree. I thought it was an airplane, blink, blink, blink. And then I'm, wait a minute. An airplane can't blink and fly under the trees. That's below the tree limbs. Yeah. So then the forest right beside my house underneath the trees. So it just stood there blinking for an hour. For an hour it sat there blinking. So I just, you know, just going to see him. Oh, then we were splashed with apports of water for several days. And I called Chris and I says, what is this? He says, they're trying to get your attention. I says, Chris, I'm going to help you prepare your first major talk for when we go to UFO con. And I did. 
He gave this big old major talk, put in this talk, all of this evidence so other people could see it. I mean, some of it is absolutely startling. Mm -hmm. And as a reward for doing that, uh, they cured me of all the damage I had from three heart attacks. And the person that went with me, they cured her of her right side weakness that she had from a stroke. We were cured. Wow. Let's um, those aliens. And so, I mean, you just have all this stuff happen to you and you just figure, wow. Yeah. I mean. So the blessed soul experience has now made me an experiencer in a big way. And it's mm -hmm. just, here we go. Here we are. And, and, you know, I don't know. I'm being an experiencer myself. It's like, I, it's, we're, we're doing something here, telling our stories. And uh, one last one last thing. This is not bragging, but I want people to know. Mm -hmm. Chris wrote this book called UFO of God. I was going to mention that it's the number one best selling book in UFOs and paranormal and some other stuff. Religion, the, the paranormal, whatever. Number one in several categories on Amazon. And I am the next to last story in that book. All of this stuff is in that book. But mm -hmm. I experienced with him. Yep. Everybody needs to check that book out too because it's it's, it's Chris a did a good job. Mm -hmm. And he, I had no idea that he could write. And I believe they inspired him how to write it because it's really well written. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, you know, he's he's high school graduate. He was a mechanical genius. He's not a computer wizard or an electronics engineer, but the guy can do anything. Built his own cars, built his own airplanes, built millions of dollars in houses. The guy was just a savant. Uh, and from and my recollection, he was a very soft-spoken and kind-hearted. I got a kind-hearted feel from the him. Sweetest guy I have ever met. Mm -hmm. Very, very soft-spoken and kind. That was my impression of him when I yep. met him. Yep. Not at all, not at all somebody who is out trying to, you know, seek the line. Well, a lot of people have accused him of doing that, but he's not ever done. Because otherwise, otherwise, he would tell people he, he has literally participated in the cures probably of a thousand people, and he would charge money for it and get real. So mm -hmm. this is how much money he's made helping people, mm -hmm. cures. He's had people walk on with television crews, that came with university professors that were trying to do science. And one of them was riddled with tumors. Five days later, he had no tumors. Wow. I'm telling you this, the stuff, and he, he does not take money for this. The money he's making on this book is the first money he's made. He lost a million dollar company to illness. Uh, that was a lot of it brought on by this. So they cured him of his Crohn's disease, but the radiation from all the orbs gave him rheumatoid arthritis. Now that's cured because he's done what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of amazing. And it's, he's just very modest. He'll tell you the story because he's supposed to tell you the story, but he's not bragging. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. and he believes it's religious and there are angels, and this kind of stuff. I, whatever it is, it's done him good and other people good. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> awkward silence. <laughs> right. I'm, just abs I'm absorbing all of this, you know. Well, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot. For, and I, look, we're, the stuff I'm telling you is like the last four years of my life. Mm -hmm. Before that, I was like secret. Nobody kind of knew who I was outside of amateur radio. And, um, it's just totally changed my life. I was really well known in technical circles with amateur radio because mm -hmm. I'm one of the co-inventors of software defined radio, which is that's what's in every one of these things is mm -hmm. word radio stuff that I helped design along with others. But and that's when I friended when I became friends with you on Facebook. That was the thing that I thought of most when I met you or you know on Facebook that you were an amateur radio operator. My late husband was an amateur radio operator, as was my father. So I was very familiar with that, you know, group. And uh, I'm like, hey, here's another 
here's another ham I want to say hi to. Yep. You know, hadn't been around them since those guys passed and they became what we they call silent keys. You know, I became I became an amateur radio operator at 10, like I told you earlier, mm -hmm. and it dominated my entire life. Because mm -hmm. everything I did was technical that started when I became a ham. And Kat, and my late husband was a you know one very young. So was my father. Uh, and my late husband did Oscar Moon Bounce. You familiar with that? We had yes. So I was the director of engineering for several years for AMSAT. Okay. Yeah. So I, know I that. built the spacecraft. <laughs> and I had the satellite dish in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, I, I built the spacecraft that amateurs used. Mm -hmm. That's just wow. amazing. It's just amazing. So. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about soft disclosure, you know, and I wanted to definitely uh, talk to you uh, about or hear your thoughts about soul or Saul. How do you pronounce it? Okay. Okay. That's good. So I've gotten to know Gary Nolan. I know Tim Gallaudet. I met Peter Scott, Peter Scottfish, and we've talked to each other and uh, I have little brief interactions, mostly through Richard Dolan with, Russell Targ, and I just knew a lot of those people that went out there. I could not go, but anyway, I knew a lot of people that went out there. So when they came, the talks came out, I listened to them. And Soul Foundation is trying to provide a free of government interference to the extent possible group that's going to support social science regular science and engineering, material science and so forth, and have a place that it all can call home involving the phenomenon. Okay, so a lot of people, they're there for the craft and the propulsion. A lot of people are there because they are experiences and they want to study consciousness. And a lot of people are there wanting to know what will, how will society be impact, impacted by disclosure? Because I'm going to tell you, disclosure is still coming. Don't think it is. And the stories I hear from inside my own home to people I know outside my home, they are coming and they will soon be here. That's the story I keep hearing from mm -hmm. people that are on the inside and people I know who are experiencers, including those people that are in this house. They are coming and we will know. Okay, so anyway, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I just know they're on the way. I still yeah. do a lot of people in government. They know they're on the, I believe they've actually had contact with them and they've told them, be prepared. We're on our way. Okay. I honestly can, I honestly feel like uh, there's already some here. Well, I think, well, I think, I, well, I think this is, that. there are many different things that interact and are here. Mm-hmm. And we have gotten this materialist reductionist view of science and the universe. And we're about to be disabused of all those notions yeah. very quickly. Yeah. That makes and sense. I, I, you know, I, I look, I see Lala move stuff with her mind. Mm -hmm. I see her read people and tell them their life history. And I've got, had a few lucid dreams and, uh, experiences that I knew were the beginning of how, learning how to do it out of body. So I'm now going after it. And this, when you cannot be a materialist reductionist science person to explain the universe and understand there's this pervasive connection between you and other living things, that's consciousness and science does not know how to describe it, much less how it works. Dean Radin, is like I might to my mind the number one scientist showing the connection between the physical world and uh, consciousness and psychic stuff because he's run experiments that have way off the statistical shell a uh, scale shown that statistically significant to one in a hundred thousand that mind can predict the outcome of a quantum experiment, manipulate the output of a quantum experiment where people thought there was no such way. But any physicists I've known have said consciousness and observation affects the material world. And I just think we're about to break all this open and learn how to think another way. Oh, I fully and 100 percent. I know that 
to as to be fact in my mind and my heart. Those are things that I was told years ago in lucid right. dreams and contact and everything else. Right. So right. it thrills me. Now I had a friend who actually was fortunate enough to attend that that first soul conference, and uh, she's an experiencer, and she was impressed. And I'm telling, I'll tell the, our listeners, you can go to the website, the Soul Foundation website, and see these videos um, that Bob was talking about of these speakers. The one thing that she did mention, and I would ask, was that she, she like Whitley Strieber was in attendance in some of these, and she said, why aren't you speaking? You know, uh, she wondered why more experiencers like Whitley weren't there speaking. And um, I don't know what your thoughts would be on that. I, uh, I know there were a few there that were experiencers, but because um, I feel like we have an important role in this disclosure. Us. Well, there, there was a, an extremely prominent person there talking who, was, who is an experiencer and has now told people details of his experiences. And that's the person that founded Soul Foundation. Is it Gary? Gary is an experiencer. He had a bicycle route when he was young and he had experiences delivering newspapers. <laughs> Greg's had experiences. He blames it on me. He said he never had these experiences hey. until he met me. Even he delivered hand, papers. hand to the high spirit. <laughs> I had never, ever, ever had any experiences whatsoever with UFOs, UAPs, weird extraterrestrial things until I met Deb. Well, well, I I always wanted to see a UFO. I was a science fiction mm -hmm. buff. Didn't think it was ever going to happen to me, no matter how many hours I spent in the yard until I went and met Chris Bledsoe. And now it's every day. Mm -hmm. Lala and I get something well, on camera every day. Yeah. Sorry, Greg. Just as it is what it is. Yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> Oops. So to me, it's like, we get when you rub up next to a person that's involved in this, you become quantum entangled with them and you take it away with you. Exactly. Or and whatever, whatever well, the, mean, whatever the entanglement is, there is an entanglement. Yeah, there is for sure. And I mean, when I went to go, when I spoke, when I go and speak to, I, I say sometimes um, I, I, when I go to these conferences and I meet people, I get, I take a little bit of you in me a little bit of you comes to me when I meet you. And I hope that when I speak, a little bit of me stays with you. And, you know, um, we both grow because of that. You know what I mean? There, That's yeah. that. That's that thing. You know, Bob, I want to tell you this. I never got a chance to tell you this in San Francisco, but I had an experience one time with a guy named Lynn Stringfield in Ohio years and years yeah, ago. Yeah, I know who Lynn is. He took, me, he took me somewhere. I went somewhere with him. And unfortunately, he's no longer around. I can't talk to him about it. Um, but I remember going to a university in Cincinnati somewhere with him for a talk during a day trip. And in this talk, these people, tell me if you've ever heard of this. The, this man, and he showed slides, and he told the story of a woman in this scientific experiment that they did. Um, they collected some of her spit in a Petri jar and in a Petri dish. And this dish was connected to all kinds of electrodes and stuff that registered all kinds of things. And then um, she was connected to um, these electrodes. And then they sent this woman. Okay. So this dish is in a laboratory. Okay. And they sent this woman. She didn't know she was safe, but they sent her on a walk down a, a very seedy part of town and they had people set up there that looked scary, that would scare her. You know, they were working for them. So she was safe. And they had her walk from point A to point B. And then they picked her up at point B, right? And as she walked into to the, you know, the setups that where she was to be scared, of course, they, her skin temperature, um, her, the follicle, the movement, whatever, um, her uh, heart rate, her breathing, her pulse rate, everything was recorded. And it was recorded on some machines in the lab. But the fascinating thing was, and I think that they told me that they were doing this, it, it had something to do with the study of twins. 
and the connection with twins. But anyway, in the lab, her spit, her cells in the lab that were also being, you know, monitored with certain things were responding, you know, the same time that she was responding to this fear and her, her stats changed, the stats changed in her cells, in this dish, in this laboratory that were, she wasn't even near it. And I don't know why, but this stuck in my head and I don't know why. And I, I've always said I went with Leonard Stringfield, but you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know for sure any of this, but to me, that sounded, and this was back in the late 80s, you know, when this all happened and got in my head and I wrote it down. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Yeah, there's, there have been experiments done like that recently where uh, both plants and animals and people have uh, had their, some s stuff from themselves left and you can see a remote effect of things that happen to them on their cells. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see plants react across the room from other plants that are, you, you put a put a flame under one and the other plants can feel it. Yeah, this stuff is, there's, mm -hmm. there's something going on to this kind of field of consciousness that mm -hmm. we don't understand, but we really need to get to know. And it had, and, 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 extraterrestrial, you know, quote unquote, for lack of, you know, just for understanding, but I don't know that that's necessarily what all of them are, you know, and the paranormal side, the ghost and whatnot, they're all intertwined in this web. They're, they're all connected and we're all connected to it somehow, you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm just kind of with the soul thing. I was excited to see that somebody was, was going down that path. Yeah because that's the path I've been sh being shoved into. And I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. Cause I'm not a scientist. I mean, I'm a hairdresser with the beauty school certificate and a high school diploma, but right. I'm, but I'm having dreams like that one I showed you, you yeah. know, about yeah, yeah. black holes and leaking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stuff. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm very excited to see that. And I'm excited for folks like you to be, involved in it because <laughs> you're so smart <laughs> you're so smart well i wish they had told me why they made me this way but anyway i think i'm trying to get about to figure out some stuff that i can do to help so we'll just keep going until we do that's amazing. until i'm like on the other side and know all the answers <laughs> yeah and i want to ask you do you have you ever heard of a of a program called madar M -A -D -A yeah i know madar so it's a it's a device Yes, I have one. Now, now MUFON sells, has a group that sells them, mm -hmm. and it detects magnetic anomalies that occur at your location, and it alarms so you can run outside and see if there's a UFO there. I have one in my office right now. I was set up, uh, Terry Tolley, uh, here in Indiana, in, in Indiana MUFON, Fran Ridge, is uh, yeah, yes, they, yes. They, he's like, if anybody in Indiana should have one of these, it's probably you because <laughs> you would be like, he wrong. <laughs> it's gone off a couple times. And <clears throat> when and I've even before my the software got updated where you could hear it, you know, I didn't know it, then I would get a text message from Terry, go outside and look to the southwest, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, and stuff like that. So, and I was just curious to see if you if you were familiar with it. I I didn't. Um, I yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, the pr the principle of operation is pretty straightforward, and there are a lot of people for for decades and decades they've worked on things called electrogravitics to try to predict how to have anti gravity and figure out how the coupling between electricity, magnetism, and gravity works so that we can build these craft that'll float and do anti-gravity stuff. So there's all this work that we know have been done by T. Townsend Brown, Ken Shoulders, and other people that have been involved with Hal Putoff and others, uh, and who were involved in the re re rebirth of gravitational research started by John Archibald Wheeler at this big meeting in North Carolina where private funding was funding this work. And then they began to get someplace and it went dark and nobody worked on it anymore because the government took it inside. 
So uh, I'm sure that there is a connection, but the government's worked very hard to make sure scientists outside don't learn of the connection. And I think this big deal, and there's, there is kind of a strange thing. One of the people that went inside, especially at Brookhaven National Labs and other places, was Lewis Witten. Lewis Witten was a very famous physicist, and he and T. Townsend Brown, they went inside with their gravity research and went silent. Lewis Witten's son is Ed Witten. Ed Witten is the smartest physicist alive in the United States today. He's a, he got the Mathematics Fields Medal, which is the mathematician equivalent of the Nobel. And he figured out how to glue together all the weird string theories and make them work mathematically. Now, I don't think string theory is right, but, but he's like the maven. And he is the son of Lewis Witten. And it gives us quantum gravity, but it doesn't quite work. Okay, mm -hmm. so... Uh, and what what the and, and the government has gone bent over backwards to make sure these string theorists have had plenty of funding for 50 years because I think they're going down the wrong path and the government wants them to stay on the wrong path. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like something the government would do too. <laughs> yeah, so I I believe in MADAR, I believe it's needed. So I would add um an accelerometer so that if you get a big gravitational field interaction, it'll look like an acceleration to the accelerometer, like works in your GPS and other things. And so if, but if, so if you get both MADAR alarm and accelerometer alarm, you, you get it, you're getting information that the magnetic electromagnetic stuff is working with the gravity. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some missing part of science that we just haven't figured out yet. Now, Jack Sarfati is a PhD scientist that claims he has figured out how it works. And he's got this thing called an S field, a scalar tensor field. And he thinks he's got it figured out, but he is nearly impossible to understand. Yeah. yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just on the edge of understanding a lot of this myself. It just blows me away that 40 years ago when I first when I first became, come, you know, came into the whole thing, it is so different now. Yeah. It's changed so much, uh, yeah. but in a good way, in, in lots of good ways, though, really. Um, I, feel, I, just well, keep, I just keep having this feeling like we are one person, one more David Grush, one more person from the door getting wide open and it all come flooding out. Or... They come visit, and our government has no choice. Right. Right. I was yeah, just getting that, ready to say, you know. Yeah, that's Although what I, I think. I, I don't know if they're going to land on the White House lawn or not. Well, they tried that in 1952, and they got <laughs> shot at. I know, right? That's what I mean. I don't think they'll try that again. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, what What are your thoughts going forward? What do you think is is going to happen? Do you? I mean, do you? I just keep hearing that we're we're going to have a disclosure event that's going to happen inside the Congress and and the White House and stuff is going to come out. And I just don't know when. Look, I people keep saying it's going to happen this year. I don't believe anything's going to happen before the election. Yeah, I, I think there, there's too much other stuff going on. And that's two so wars and yeah. budgets messed up and we have 30 billion trillion dollars in debt. And, you know, we have a lot of stuff to worry well, about. Something that uh, I, I always found funny because especially since, like I said, I mean, I've, I've had experiences. I've not been I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not like any like Deb. Right. But I've seen things in the sky and I've seen weird things on the side of the road that I can't explain that weren't ghosts under the paranormal umbrella. But the more that I know Deb and have talked to Deb and have talked to her friends, like just on the show, like talking to you right now, an intelligent individual would have a hard time not believing in the ufo uap phenomenon at this point which i think is you know everyone's saying you know the government disclosure 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 i already believe 
I know that I what I've seen with my own eyes that yep. there's no way that you can tell me that that there's not. When when when, when I know? when I'm sitting in a live in my living room, sitting on a chair watching TV, and a white orb comes stands over the couch. It's so bright I can barely stand to look at it. I know that there's something to all this, and uh, you know we're yeah. just. When you've had these experiences, it's not possible to deny it anymore. The problem as a scientist is I can't figure out how to write an equation about it. So yeah, I just, right. you know, I got to keep working until I hear something, figure something and hope I make a little contribution or help it uh, help it along. Yeah. Yep. That's what we're all trying to do here. Um, I wonder if, uh, you know, like you said, you're seeing you're seeing them now almost daily. Uh, I'm hearing that more and more from a lot of people and people that have never seen them before are starting to have mm. these things happen to them. I wonder if that's all a part of the, I always felt like disclosure. I, I, I never trusted a government to give us disclosure. I always felt like it was going to be coming from them. Well, I th I, so let me, that. I believe the government is not going to roll the craft out and let us tinker with them. No, no. Okay, but I think they might come out and say we're there. Are, there are things here that we don't understand, and we're trying to figure it out. That's all they need to say. And that's really, I mean, they need to stop making people feel bad about exactly. having these experiences. Right. Exactly. Because yep. so this you know, ruined families, ruined <laughs> marriages, made yeah. people think they were crazy, and put themselves people in uh, themselves uh, mental health that. mental health institutions. Yeah. People have people have committed suicide. Over oh there. yeah, I know um, that. Late husband uh, was uh, struggled with things like this and ended up committing suicide. People well, that, that that and that and uh, the, the the women who have been taken, forced to have a pregnancy and forced to have the infant taken from them, they deserve more than you're crazy. Exactly. Yeah. I have. I mean. I'm the poster child for that, I think, at this point. And I, I mean, I had doctors, I had medical records, I was pregnant, I had family, you know, but people still roll their eyes when they hear my story. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I get that you and if that's how you can live with it, fine. I've had to live with it for 48 years, you know, I mean, they just want to think you had a miscarriage and that it's over, but you know, different. Right. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it wasn't like people think. And I used to get pissed off when I see like the headlines on the National Enquirer or the World Weekly, right. whatever, you know, woman has 30 alien babies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Nick, I, I, got, I was pregnant one time and this yep. baby disappeared and it wasn't 30 and I wasn't married to an alien or having sex with an alien or any of that shit. Right. But, you know, it, it in that. uh when I came out and started talking about what happened to me, um, I only did it because I was told by Bud that there were lots of other people, out, a lot of other women out there like me. Yep. And and now I know there's millions of women. Literally millions. Literally millions. Bud Hopkins and John Mack did the arithmetic. There's three million in the United States of America. And that's just one country. Right. Right. So, and we are uh, not the largest country in the world. No, I don't even want to think about how many are in China where they know they can get away with covering up. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, mm. Yeah, I want to see. Uh, that's my one of my goals. Uh, I know. Well, we were talking about goals and things that we want to moving forward. I want the stigma to be removed uh, from people mm. so they can report these things without risk of losing their pensions or their jobs. Pilots and and military guys, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm just, just you know, uh, I haven't done all that, but um, the government stopped passing my security clearance around. So after two years, it expired and I couldn't use my security clearance to get work. So ultimately it cost me a million dollars over over years. It'll cost me a million dollars. So they take action and it's harmful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, I want your opinion on something. Um, I, I still catch hell from, from it from my friends in the UFO community, and I don't care. I stand by my 
my feelings when I first saw Bob Lazar on TV back in the late eighties, early nineties, my immediate instinct was that guy's telling the truth. And then I read, um, you know, about things later on, you know, people were well, like, I mean, Stan Stanford Friedman did all of this research that proved that according to MIT and other places, Bob Lazar never went there. Now, but here's the question I keep asking. Mm -hmm. Jim Goodall and John Lear knew Bob Lazar in Las Vegas long before he got on the Janet jet, went up to Area 51 and went to work. They knew him. Mm -hmm. So after working for a while, he would come over to John Lear's house and he would grab John and all of his friends and they would drive up to Rachel, Nevada, right outside of Area 51. He, he would say, all right, here in an hour, right over there, the UFO is going to come up and they're going to test fly. And it did. You got to explain to me how he knew the highly classified experimental schedule without ever having gone inside. Mm -hmm. They have that thing on video. Yeah, I saw that. It, to me, it's like, I know the government can... I know what they can do to people. They can, well, they can wipe it. They can wipe this history out. They can erase your entire everything and, yeah. and make you a non-existent person if they want to. And Jim Goodall, Jim Goodall found an EGNG Navy issued ID for Bob, and he grabbed it, went to Washington D.C. and went to the Department of Navy and the Pentagon and to the Security uh, Admiral's office and said, "Sir, what do you think about this?" And Jim thought the admiral was going to hang him up by his toes for a month. He grabbed it, tore it up, threw it in the trash, and he said, you better never come in here and do anything like this ever again. See, wow. as a result of my, I, I think, as a result of my experiences in, uh, throughout my life, I have a real good radar for people, for their truthfulness and, and, and intention. Yeah. I, I feel intention on folks. And I'm from the moment I saw him speak, there was something about him that said to me, yep, this guy is telling the truth. And, and Can I tell you the thing that's impressive to me? Mm -hmm. A confabulist cannot tell the same story all the time. Since he first came out, he tells the same story mm -hmm. every single time. He, uh -huh. he, he draws these mechanical, intricate mechanical drawings. They're the same every time he draws them. And I know that he's done, you know, I, I, at least I don't know, but I've read things that he's done that were sketchy and, and things he was accused of. Uh, well, he know. got convicted in a court for doing something bad. Yeah, but, but even I bad people was, have shit like this. Yep. You know what I yes. mean? I worked with people who did real work for the government that wound up doing things bad and went to prison. Well, and, can I and, and, you know, maybe sometimes the things you're exposed to in the, the that scenario mess up your head and make you have shitty judgment. I don't know. But when I first saw him in the very beginning, I always felt like, yeah, this is this guy is speaking something real. And I just was curious if you felt that same vibe. I cannot get past he took 50 people or more, maybe a hundred people to the desert and showed them the craft flying mm -hmm. and they got video of it. And I he mean, knew the test schedule. I, I could be wrong. As like I say, I'm a human being and I make mistakes, but that, that part of me, that, that, that made our radar built in me is never wrong. So I don't I there's there are there is truth inside his story. Yes, there is. That's I don't know whether it's all true, but enough of it's true that he tells the same story every time and mm -hmm. has lots of witnesses that went to the desert with him and saw the craft. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I and I want before we wind it up, um, I, I wanted to mentioned that uh, a good friend of yours, uh, his friend of mine, a good friend of yours, we recently lost John Yost. Yes. I uh, wanted to honor him and um, just, you know, just, 
just mention that he we've lost the community's lost a very well, John 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 wrote directed and starred in a, a movie called Alien Abduction Answers mm -hmm. and to me it is the most carefully told expertly done full of emotion you can tell it's a real lived experience story of an alien abductee coming to terms with what had happened to him. Mm -hmm. And he met Deb Shakti Buller, Deb Shakti, who helped him work through the details. And she's also a star in the movie. So Deb and I and others, many others, worked hard to raise this fund to help John get this experimental treatment that came within it was like this big when he started, we got it down to that big. And it was, it was close to $200,000 that got spent on getting it from this big down to this big. And suddenly it began to stop working. And within a month he had passed away. Mm -hmm. So he it was like two weeks ago, he passed away. And so you can see tributes on Deb's, Deb Shoxy's webpage and my webpage to John's passing. So Lala and I got to know him, friends with him, and I got something from him and sent it to Chris Bledsoe, who tried to help him. And uh, I think probably did help some, but it just wasn't. We came so close. That's what's so aggravating. Yeah. It was almost gone when it finally got him. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just, it was his time. Uh, but he has two more of those famous movies in the planning stages, and I just don't know if they will ever come to fruition now. I hope they do. I hope they do, too. Uh, that, was, that is it's won an award every place it's gone mm -hmm. for being that kind of movie. It's won an award for being that kind of movie. And is it on uh, Amazon Yeah, Prime? It is. It Amazon is in other places. It is yeah. on Amazon Prime, and you can get it. And it is a very well yes, done. And you can well. see Deb Shakti, and you can see John. So mm -hmm. he met her at a, an experiencer group meeting, mm -hmm. and she has that instantaneous ability to connect and read. Mm -hmm. She walked up to him, began talking to him, and pretty soon she had regressed him, and he finally knew his story. And she he credits her with saving his life. Mm -hmm. And he was had been through rough time with all of this, and he was hard on himself and the people around him. And after he got these answers, he turned into the sweetheart everybody knew his last yeah. several years of his life. Yeah, when I met so him, he, 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 credit, he credits Deb with having that happen to him. That's well, I'm uh, you know rest in peace, John. Thank you for everything that you've left for us here and hopefully your your story will continue on and your help will he was on. the most he was the most generous kind and loving person i i've met in a long time mm -hmm. i just wanted to acknowledge that you know before we win i didn't want to forget that because i know you were really good friends with him too yep. I mean, law and i both we really we really love the guy mm-hmm well, he's still here. He's just working from the other side. Oh, yeah. Side so Lala, uh, Lala said, John, if you're here, let us know. We had a great big orb that big, fly through the cameras, stretch out into something long like never one of these things does, go back down and float past the cameras. So we know he's here. Yeah. Wow. That's that's good to know. Yep. Oh. All right. So, Bob, go ahead and put out any websites or socials that you want to put out. People can find sure. you. So I'm uh, Bob McGuire underscore N4HY on X or Twitter. And I'm Bob McGuire on Facebook. The, underneath my name there, you can see Lala Bright's website. And Lala is Lala Bright 59 on X Twitter. And she's Lala Bright on Facebook. And the two of us have a shared folder of uh, hundreds of pieces of our evidence, video and uh, pictures, uh, where you can see the evidence we've gathered. And I'm telling you, some of it's wild. Are you um, planning on speaking anywhere? Uh, you got any plans for the future for speaking? I, I, I am planning on trying to get some stuff together. We're writing some stuff, getting some stuff together. Well, I will start speaking with her. And okay. we'll, we're going to go. She's, she has her own show now on Grizzly on the Hunt every Tuesday night at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. And 
she's really getting some really neat round tables. And thank you, Deb, for being on that. And oh, so she's oh, met anytime. a lot of people and is she's becoming pretty well known. Good. And she's helped a lot of people with readings. Mm -hmm. Yep. She is really good. Oh, nice. I'm so glad that you came in to talk with us tonight, Bob. That was I, fun. It, anytime. I, I enjoyed appreciate it. it. I enjoyed it too. Maybe we Me can too. get you and Lala life. both to come. That would together. be good. We, we, be would do, we would do that too. We do that regularly. It's just whenever somebody wants us, we go do it. Because we've been told by the visitors that that is our job to go do soft disclosure. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yep. All right. Well, Bob, we appreciate you coming on and we'll, we will get you guys back on together and uh, just have an hour or so of fun. And, well, Greg, uh, it was great. It was really good to be on with you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank Bob. you, sir. It's our pleasure. All right, Bob, you take care and we'll see you guys uh, next Thursday night, nine central. Oh, wait, nine Eastern, eight <laughs> central. I did it again. God damn it. I'll get it right one of these shows. <laughs> oh, All right, you guys. Thanks for watching Midwest Prayer Talk Radio. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.